The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kia ora tato, this is Toby Manhai with another episode of your friendly local politics podcast, Gone by Lunchtime. What you're about to hear is part of the Gone by Lunchtime Megapod, a 12-hour epic event recorded on September 20 at Spinoff HQ. Enjoy. Tēnā koutou koutou, this is Toby Manhire on the spin-off election 2023 Megapod. We are into hour eight now on Wednesday the 20th of September and it's a bumper hour in the Megapod. We've got Grant Robertson coming on, we've got Ruff Munji coming on but first, patching in from Dunedin, the People's Professor of Public Law, <laughs> Andrew Geddes from the University of Otago. Kia ora, Andrew, how are you? Yeah, kia ora, Toby, nice to hear you. Um... I wanted to talk to you about stuff that um, is fascinating. I think probably we don't talk about it enough. And it's the bit after the votes have been cast, the bit after they've been counted, or, or, or sometimes when we're still waiting for the specials, and that's the business of putting together a government and what that involves. Can you walk us through, I guess, from the start, please, Andrew, What's the first? What's the first thing that happens? Well, as you mentioned, the votes get counted and the seats get uh, split up. And depending on the division of seats, it could either be a pretty easy, straightforward process, or it could be a pretty complicated, long-term one. Of course, mm. after twenty twenty, it was easy, right? Labor was a majority; they were the government straight mm. in, no mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. um, it could be relatively straightforward after this election if a couple of parties, most likely National or Act, have a pretty clear majority. So that even if specials change things by a vote or two, it's not really going to change the outcome. Uh, by a seat or two, it's not going to change the overall majority. Mm. And in that case, National and Act would get down to try to do a deal. And that is based on them talking about their policies, talking about a common uh, you know, a set of policies they can pursue over a three-year and how to structure their arrangements so the two of them as the majority part, uh, majority together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, the, so that's, that's in a case where you've got two parties who have a clear majority. Yeah. Uh, it would have to be, clear, you know, so clear that not even special is going to change it. The possibility that's now raising its head, of course, is that you may have three parties in the mix. Could be Labour, Greens, Te Pāti Māori, mm -hmm. or could be New Zealand's first national act. If you've got that, then things start to get complicated. 
uh, because you've got basically a three-way negotiation having to take place. Likely that wouldn't happen until after specials because the parties would want to know exactly you know, what their shape of uh, each, the relative strength of each caucus is. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, it's the same deal. It's they have to talk to each other in whatever way they want. There's no rules about that. There's no mm. rules about how they negotiate. There's no rules about what they decide to form a majority that's, uh, that they can then allow the government to take place. Mm. And what do they do when they feel they've got that, whether they've got a written text, whatever agreement they've got, a secret handshake? What next? How do they, how do they uh, kind of assert that governing majority? So the governor-generals, plural, over time, have made it very clear that what they need to see before they will appoint someone as prime minister are clear statements, clear public statements from each of the parties involved mm-hmm. as to what they'll do. Mm-hmm. And the governor-general will then work off what the parties basically say. So if the parties say, we have reached an agreement and we are going to support Someone, Christopher Luxon or Chris, Chris, uh, Chris, um, Chris is terrible. Hipkins uh, is the guy. Chris Hipkins. Yeah. I know. Sorry, that's my blank. We're going to support one of those two as being prime minister. Then the governor general will work off that clear statement and will appoint them as being prime minister. Mm-hmm. Then it goes into like the formal vote of confidence when parliament meets to kind of, you know, just basically rubber stamp that. Right. But it's the party speaking publicly about what they've agreed is what the Governor-General works off. And that's, as far as our Governor-General goes, I mean, it's mostly kind of a titular thing. They cut some ribbons, they put swords on shoulders and do all that business and give speeches. This is pretty critical constitutional role here. Yeah, so this is the one thing the Governor-General does that they do off their own bat without being advised what to do. Normally the Governor-General is told by ministers to do this and then the ministers having confidence, you know, the Governor-General does it. That's what convention says. So for example they sign off bills, they sign off bills but they don't go, actually I don't fancy this one doesn't work for me, they just sign it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So long as as you've got a government that has majority support, the Governor-General does what the ministers advise. Right. Here, there is no one to advise the Governor-General. They have to, off their own bat, say, I am making you the Prime Minister. But in order that they can do so in a way that's legitimate and doesn't, you know, you know, raise eyebrows, mm. they say, you tell me publicly mm. as, a, you know, as parties what you're doing so I can act off that. Um, and... What was that? What happened in Australia in was it 1975 when Gough Whitlam <laughs> was turfed out by by the Governor General? Yeah. Remind me what happened then and whether or not that has any relevance to the setup here. Yeah, so so that that had to do with the difficulty in getting the budget passed. Yeah, uh, and the fact that the upper house, the, the Australian Senate, had rejected uh, the the government's uh, basically the government's spending. Hmm. And what the Governor-General did there was say, um, I believe that you can no longer govern. And so the Governor-General, off their own bat, dismissed the Prime Minister and said, basically, you can no longer be Prime Minister because I don't think you've got the confidence of Hmm. Parliament anymore. Hmm. Uh, And that was deeply controversial because um, there was still a majority in the the lower house, in the, the House of Representatives. And 
so they, they you know, that basically looked like the Governor General was taking their own independent action to decide who the government should be, because of course it required a new election, and then the other side, the, the Conservative, uh, the Liberals won, and there was a new part, uh, new government. And so, you know, down the ages, hmm. the the view on the left the, the, from the Labour Party was that the Governor General basically knifed a Labour Party uh, Prime Minister uh, in order to allow the Liberals to become government. And that's the sort of problem. When the Governor General steps in and independently makes a call, mm. they open themselves up to that kind of critique or that kind of analysis. And the Governor General doesn't want to be in that position, right? Because they're just an appointee for some hereditary monarch who lives over in London. Right. So, you know, what kind of authority do they have to do anything? Right. And so that does that stand as an example in Australia and maybe here and elsewhere of, of something to avoid? You don't want to get yourself into a situation like that? Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and, that, and so what Governor-Generals, plural, in New Zealand have said is, you know, you guys, the politicians, basically need to work out things like who gets to be government. Hmm. So you have to do the deals. You have to talk amongst each other. I, the Governor-General, do not get involved in that process. I don't try to guide you. Uh, some European countries, for instance, like I don't know anyone who's watched Borgen, you know, the, the greatest television show ever about politics, <laughs> well, you know, remember that uh, they're, they're sovereign. Yeah says to a lead, political leader, you have the right to go away and try to form the government first. That doesn't happen in New Zealand, mm. right? In New yeah. Zealand, that's a free-for-all. The parties talk amongst each other without the Governor-General, the Sovereign, being involved in that process. Mm. And only after the political deal is done does the, the Sovereign, the Governor-General, come in and make the appointment. And there are some people that believe that in the New Zealand system, the party that gets the plurality, the largest number of votes, which, for example, would have been Bill English's National Party in 2017, mm. should get first go, don't they? And that's and there's nothing in the rules that says that so, but is that the kind of thing that can develop as a convention over time? Well, I mean, it's not clear what first go would mean, right? I yeah. mean, if you remember back to what was happening in 2017, yeah, Bill English got the most votes, but it was Winston Peters who was making the choice. And so what does it mean to say he has, quote, first go to talk to Winston Well, I guess what did, it, what, say, what, is it, what did it mean in the Danish example? Wasn't it that? Was it not you get first go? Was it something different? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the way it works under their system is, yes, that the, uh, the negotiations can only take place between that party and the party that they want to talk to. Mm. But they've kind of formalised, ritualised, way of doing it, which we just don't have in New Zealand. Right. Our way in New Zealand is the Governor-General is completely outside the system, mm. doesn't say anyone has a right to talk about being government. The Governor-General only steps in once the negotiations and discussions have happened. Also, there's no real reason. I mean, why should like the biggest party have the first try? Because all that matters is who's got the majority. Mm. And that, you know, that can be determined... Uh, by the parties talking amongst each other. Let's. I was going to ask you about the uh, the novelty that we've had recently mooted by David Seymour. Um, we tend to talk in New Zealand about formal coalitions, which is where two parties or more 
joined together and have seats around the cabinet table and are, to all effects purposes, one unit, as far as governing is concerned, or where a party will offer confidence and supply, which means that they will vote yes on confidence votes and support the budget, basically, support the supply of money. Um, but they don't take, they might take ministerial roles for that, but they won't sit in cabinet. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong about that, Andrew. The mm-hmm. novelty, the innovative thinking from David Seymour, which was put in an interview with RNZ, was that if they weren't satisfied about the arrangements that they were able to reach in negotiations, that they could offer confidence but not supply. Can you tell me what you made of that when you first heard it? Yeah, so just to, just to clarify the terms maybe before we yeah. start into it, yeah. confidence, confidence is basically Parliament voting on who they want to be government. And such confidence votes, formal confidence votes, happen sort of a, you know, shit, you know there's a few sort of formalised ones throughout the year. Mm. But basically the rule is that you need a majority to vote confidence to say, yes, we have confidence in you to have the right to govern. Supply is money. It's basically getting the money that a government needs in order to operate because the government doesn't have money and government must always have parliament agreeing to give it money to be able to spend it and it can't, just can't do its business. Hmm. So supply votes actually are confidence votes Hmm. because the rule is that if a government loses a request for money from parliament, basically can't pass its budget, then it can't operate, it can't run. So what David Seymour, in effect, I think, was saying is, look, after the election, it may be that we in national, maybe with New Zealand first in the mix, can't reach a long-term three-year set of policies. What we want in terms of, you know, cutting the size of government, cutting taxes or whatever, might be too much for National to agree to immediately. And so they might try to, you know, fob us off. If we're not happy with what they're offering us, well, we still want to change the government, right? We still, we don't want Labour limping on and, you know, being the caretaker government, continuing to run the country because they're the guys who are still, they, they, right, they will continue to be the government until the government changes. Mm. So what we'll do is we will say to National, yep, we will give you confidence, which allows you to go to the Governor-General and become the new government. You can take over from Chris Hipkins, Chris Luxon can become Prime Minister, there'll be a National-led government get into office and start doing the things that are better than the old, you know, the Labour lot. But with regards spending, with regards supply, we won't guarantee that we will vote that because that doesn't have to happen until next year when the budget kicks in. And that will allow us to continue to negotiate over the money side of things, you know, how big the government's going to be, how much government spending there'll be, all that sort of stuff, for, you know, until the budget uh, process kicks in. And only if National meets enough of our demands on that will we then vote for the budget. Mm. So it allows for a longer, more extended period of policy negotiation to take place while still allowing Chris Luxon to get in and become Prime Minister and take over from Chris Hipkins. Now, of course, what that then does is it puts off the day of reckoning where ACT eventually would have to say either, yep, we accept National's budget, we accept what National is proposing, or say, no, still not good enough, we won't vote for it. And if they don't vote for it, at that point, the government would collapse. So because it, if the government loses a supply vote, it has to resign. Right, it has to. 
I mean, has to, and, yep. and yeah, and I mean, so effectively, it would be almost like you know putting the, the the main governing party on parole. You know, you have to come and you yeah. know meet these requirements, which is which would obviously have a political impact, and who knows? But it might what it would say about stability in terms of uh, ratings agencies or whatever, and then how that would filter down mm. to the public mood. I mean, it's the kind of thing. If, if Winston Peters had said it, for example, it might have landed <laughs> differently. And he hasn't, as far as I'm aware mooted this particular arrangement before. I mean, if 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 is there a position in that system, if, if if we can if we can just conjure up the idea of it, for the Governor General to be involved again? Or is the Governor General at this point at home watching telly? Well the Governor General so after the election what the Governor General is looking for is that declaration as to where the confidence of the House lies. Yeah. So if ACT was to say, we are going to vote confidence in Chris Luxon as being Prime Minister, mm. and Chris Luxon has a majority of votes, then that gives him the right to become the Prime Minister. Now, of course, that's almost, it's almost like a contingent confidence. It's kind of, we've got confidence now, but we might not in a few months when we mm. have to vote on the budget. Mm. Now, I could imagine the Governor-General not being 100% happy with that. The Governor-Generals have said, we would like to see the parties telling us, you know, where uh, their support, where support's going to be for the full term so mm. that there is the stability. But by the same token, if that's all that's on the table, if that's what the parties are saying to the Governor-General, then the Governor-General kind of has to accept it because what's the alternative? Mm. The alternative with the Governor-General going, that's not good enough. I'm not going to appoint Chris Luxon as Prime Minister, which allows Chris Hipkins to remain as Prime Minister, even though he wouldn't have a majority and can't form a government. So... Yeah, it's one of those things where the Governor-General might just have to grit their teeth and accept it for now with maybe a kind of sort of back, because, you know, the Prime Minister meets with the Governor-General regularly and so on and so on. There may be a kind of, you guys really need to sort this out. Please don't put me in the position of having to sack you, you know, next year and have a new election, because that would be a disaster. So it's hard not to... You know, it's good... In the the real world, uh, it's hard not to... Look at this as an ex- as an attempt to gain some leverage in a you know because yeah. because obviously ACT aren't going to form a coalition with Labour and so in order to avoid being a bolt on anything resembling a lapdog they're like no actually we've got this up our sleeve. Yep, it's the it's the one bit of leverage they've got, and you know uh, David Seymour said I'm not afraid to use it. The question is of course you know how far would he go with it. Because, you know, come next year, if National offers up a budget that's going to have, you know, some tax cuts in it, Mm. some government spending cuts, and so on, is ACT really going to go, no, that is not good enough, you must meet our fundamental demands or we'll bring the government down? Because if it does bring the government down, then, and we have a new election, I think most political commentators would say that would rebound very badly. Mm. And it would damage not just the national vote, but the uh, they're not just the act vote, but the national vote probably deliver a centre left government. You know, is act really going to bring down a centre right government because it's not pure enough? If that results in a centre left government, so yeah, it's brinksmanship. But you know, how far can you really push it? Another one, briefly. We've had a few polls, not for a while, but a few polls in recent times that have, uh, if mapped onto election day, would have delivered a draw, as close as you'll get to a dead heat. 
so yeah. 60 yep. seats in one block and 60 on the other and no apparent room for manoeuvre unless something that is uh, unprecedented and currently mm. unlikely would happen. What happens in that hypothesis if you get 60 v 60? So if we assume it's 60 v 60 and no one is prepared to kind of blink by saying, okay, because one of, one of the things is one of the parties could just abstain from voting confidence and supply, just take right. their votes out of the mix. Yeah. So that would allow then a government to form, um, and, but you could say, well, it's not my fault. I'm not voting for them. I'm just not voting. Mm. So that's one way you could get out of the, 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 the... But if that didn't happen, if everyone stuck true to party Māori, Greens and Labour said, we will never vote for, or we will never allow an act national government to come into place, act national said, we will never allow anyone else. So everyone mm. stays true. You've got 60-60. Mm. No one can form a government because you need to win a vote of confidence. To win a vote of confidence, you need one more vote for than against. So a 60-60 tie is not good enough. And if you had that, and that, you know, that 60-60 um, uh, stayed in place, I think there'd be no option but to have a new election. And that would require the Governor-General saying, oh, you're a bunch of bloody losers, we're going back to the polls. That would be the Governor-General's call? I'd imagine what would happen, the Governor-General would say to the parties, negotiate as hard as you can, yeah. then come to me and tell me when you can negotiate no more. Yeah, okay, yeah. So what the Governor, because at that point, Chris Hipkins would be the Prime Minister, yeah. but he would be in a, uh, a the caretaker state. He can't make those big calls off his own bat. Yeah. So he would have to essentially get the agreement of Chris Luxon and the other party leaders to say to the Governor-General, your Excellency, there is no government can form. You are going to have to call a new election. Okay, thank you so much, Andrew Gillis. I've just got two questions to to complete. Uh, uh, we're collecting these uh, scientific studies across all the people we're talking to. One of them was political TV, and you've already Excellent. said Borgen, so that's fine. The next one is to go in to win <laughs> yep. a box of chocolate fish. Do you want to have a guess at the turnout? <sighs> A guess at the turnout to one decimal point was remembering it was 82.1 at the last election and down in the 74 point something in 2011. Yeah. What are you going for? Okay, nerd question. Yeah. Turnout of registered voters or eligible voters? Uh, the one that they, the, the headline one. The one that would have equated <laughs> to it being, I don't know, man. Don't be that guy. <laughs> Bloody hell, everything was going yeah, so no. well. 77.8. 77.8, thank you. And the last what, last question for you. As you know, Christopher Luxon has been talking a lot about mojo during the course of this election mm -hmm. and the uh, loss of mojo on the part of the country. Um, maybe, maybe. That, we get to the, the bottom of that. Um, how are you personally? Yeah, yeah. What, is your, what is your personal mojo level between zero and ten? Zero being none, gone, kaput. 10 being absolutely brimming, replete with mojo. Oh, is it not a negative ranking here? <laughs> <laughs> we have had one zero, I think, so far. A lot of the politicians are saying 10. Seymour said eight. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I, I mean, oh, I, I probably I can pull myself. Talking to you, Toby, has probably brought me up to a five. <laughs> That's how the magic happens. It's been so good to talk to you, um, and I'd like to do it again soon. Uh, not on a twelve-hour-long yeah. podcast, but um, thank you so much no, for no. coming on. Good luck to you. All right, Kia ora, Andrew. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Okay, that is the spin-off election megapod rocking in towards 4.30 on Wednesday the 20th. We're going to come back really soon, hopefully with Grant Robertson on the line. This is the Megapod. Thanks for listening. There's plenty more where this came from on your Gone By Lunchtime feed. Thanks to Jane, Te here, and Samuel and the rest of the team at the spin-off for making the Megapod happen. Kia ora e te iwi, Te Butler here, podcast manager at the spin-off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.